Well, we were certainly praying for you and rejoicing with you up in northern Maine last week when we heard the news. And uh, sorry to have to miss such a great day of celebration down here with you all, but uh, God surely answered uh, the prayers of his people, and that's wonderful. I was thinking probably no one is happier than Katie Wheeler. Uh, uh, she's got to be the one just leaping for joy, to say the least, with all she's had on her. Thank you for your prayers for us uh, while we are up at Living Waters Bible Conference. It was my 34th year in a row up there, and uh, time has a way of just slipping right by us. Uh, and God did answer your prayers. I remember I asked you, I said, even if you forget to pray for me, pray for Muriel. She had to listen to me 11 times in one week, and she survived very, very well. So it's good to be back uh, with you. And just to, to, to keep hope alive with you, Rob will be back in about another six weeks, so bear with me, okay? And then, Lord willing, Pastor Rob's first Sunday in the pulpit, I think, is September 15th. And uh, we're all looking forward to having pastor and family back with us. So you can turn to Jeremiah uh, 23 and Psalm 139, if you would like. Uh, in the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's page 651 in Jeremiah and 521 in, in Psalm. So a young boy and his mom were having, uh, he was 10 years old about, thereabouts, and they were having a very serious discussion over lunch one day. And so he asked rather innocently of his mom, he says, uh, Mom, where is God? And she says, why, God's in heaven, honey. And um, he said, okay. She says, he said, does he live there? Well, yeah, that, that's, where, that's where he lives. Where's Jesus? Well, honey, remember you accepted him and Jesus is in your heart. But I thought Jesus and God were one. Well, they are. Well, then how can he be in heaven and be in my heart at the same time? She's a sweetheart. Some things are just hard to explain. Another short pause. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Another pause. I think it's time to take a nap. So there's the answer from mom. Omnipresence answers the question, where is God? And it's the sixth attribute in our series of knowing God. I think deep within most people, there's that, that sense of wanting an answer to the question, where is God? And probably those who feel God has maybe abandoned them and that can happen to even deep believers like David or Elijah or Elisha. You know, when you read the writings of these men, you read they went through severe bouts of depression, even wanting to take their own life. And those were our heroes in the faith. So it can happen uh, to any believer regardless of their status. And where is God when I need him? There are three attributes, obviously, that fit very closely together, and they're all preceded by the four-letter word omni. Omni simply means all. So you have what is called omniscience, which is all-knowing, omnipotence, which is all-powerful, 
and then omnipresence, which means he's everywhere at the same time. And so before I get to the omnipresence of God Almighty, I want to clear up just a few things that might be going through your mind or things that you have thought about that cause a little confusion. Let me first of all say that God alone is omnipresent. God alone is omnipresent. Satan, demons, and angels are not omnipresent. All beings, except for God Almighty, are restricted to a given place at a given time. I say that because some people look at Satan almost kind of like he's not God, but he's kind of like God to a limited extent. Like he can do everything God can do, except he can't do it as well or as much, but on a lower level. But when it comes to these attributes of God, like omnipresence, you're either present everywhere all the time or you are not. There's no such thing as partial omnipresence. While we would surely agree that Satan works today through a vast array of a hierarchy of, of spirit beings who work his infernal will, he himself, Satan, is no more omnipresent than you or I are. He can only occupy it as a being one space at one given time. Now, having said that, let's go and look at the comprehensiveness of God's omnipresence. And I'm using uh, Jeremiah 23, verses 23 to uh, 24 as a text here for this point. Jeremiah 23 is really an indictment against, uh, from God against the false prophets and priests who were ungodly men and were speaking lies and falsehoods at the time. And while there are specific charges that God brings to them, they can be summarized as the one thing they all did is they brought the God of Israel down to man's level. And that is precisely what false teachers, false prophets do today. They attempt to deify man and then to humanize God. Voltaire once said, God made man in his own image, and now man has returned the favor. Notice what God says in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Now, two immediate things come to us from these verses, and we've mentioned them briefly before. Number one is God is transcendent. God is transcendent. The false prophets misunderstood the character of God, just like all false religions do. He was not some localized deity uh, whom a prophet could hide from so God could not see him. God fills heaven and earth so that no place is outside his realm. That's what we mean by transcendence. Omnipresence means he is, has neither bounds nor any limitations whatsoever. Which brings us to the second thing to say is that God is also imminent. So the imminence of God has to do with his essential presence with all creatures. 
We imagine sometimes God away off in a celestial palace like God lives in heaven and that's where he's confined, but that's not true. God is everywhere at the same time. He's near to us on earth. He's high in ruling, overseeing the affairs of the governments of the world, but he's also in the trenches and the pits with us. He's with us and we are so thankful through the valley of the shadow of death. The truth is we're never, never alone. And if God is truly on the presence, then that means he must be with all creatures in those places. As he is in heaven, so he is with the angels. As he is in hell, so he is with demons. As he is in the earth and the sea, he is with all creatures inhabiting those elements. You say, and here's a question, is God with the unbeliever? Of course he is. If he were not, then he wouldn't be omnipresent. But catch this, he has no relationship with the unbeliever on earth, nor the demon in hell. The apostle Paul told the Athenians in Acts 17, Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. He then exhorts them in light of that to seek the Lord so they can have a personal relationship with him. Now let's move on and just look at a couple, a few characteristics of God's omnipresence. And Psalm 139 is where you want to go for that. Psalm 139, 7 to 12. It's a beautiful Psalm of David, uh, 24 verses, and it neatly breaks down into six verses uh, with a particular thought as you move through the 24 verses. For instance, if you just look at verses 1 to 6, you see God's omniscience. God knows everything. Listen, nothing has happened to you this, this last week, this last year, or your whole lifetime. Nothing has come into your life that God did not know about in eternity past. Not one jot or tittle of knowledge is absent from God concerning you. Then verses 7 to 12, he talks about his omnipresence, which we'll look at in a second. And then omnipotence in verses 13 to 17. And he chooses to use the baby in the womb. And he says how God was present in that womb with that uh, human baby being formed in the womb. From the second of conception all the way through. And that's how he demonstrates uh, God's omni omnipotence. And then he reaffirms his loyalty to God at the end, 13 to 18. Now we're just going to pick it up since we're on omnipresence in the middle verses, 7 to 12. Follow along if you would. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for no darkness is as light with you. 
Now, let me try to share what at least I glean from these verses here. Three things about the omnipresence of God and, and, and its characteristics and how that affects uh, us in the world today. First of all, in verses seven to eight, I think what he's telling us is that no destiny can separate us from God's presence. No destiny can separate us from God's presence. He's revealed to every person either in his love or in his wrath. Most of us have never questioned God's presence in heaven. But even if we go to hell, I will not escape God's presence. In heaven we'll experience the love, the mercy, the compassion of God, the loving kindness for all eternity. But yet, if we go to hell, I won't escape him there. But instead, there'll be the dominant theme of his attribute of wrath upon those in hell. Regardless, he is still God, and there's no escaping his presence. Now, the minute you say God is not here or there, then you have to also say God is not on the present. Remember, you're either on the present or you're not. And with God, we know that he is. Look at Revelation 14, 9 to 10. It's going to be on the screen uh, as well. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur. Now notice, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's interesting that he uses the word lamb there. That when people are suffering under the wrath of God and are not in the presence of heaven and the holy angels and the redeemed, that they still see him as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, whom they rejected, and why they are in hell, and why they are under the wrath of God. I believe it's reasonable to make the implication, though we can't be dogmatic on this because it doesn't say it, that it may be the lamb himself who will be the executor of his own wrath in hell. Why would I even say that? Well, in John 5, remember, it says, the father has committed all judgment to the son. So it seems reasonable that the lamb of God, who is also the lion out of the tribe of Judah, is the executor of his own wrath in hell. We often preach that if a person rejects Christ and goes to hell, he will be separated from the presence of the Lord. Now, I've probably said that, but it's not true in its most technical sense. I think I know what we mean when we say it or others say it, but it's not uh, true in the most technical sense. People in hell... Those who have rejected Christ in this life and go to hell will be separated from the grace, mercy, and loving kindness of our Savior. But those in hell can only wish that they were left alone from the Lord 
and could escape the wrath of the Lamb and his presence. He is in heaven. He is on earth. He's in hell. He's with the believer in a unique sense, but he's also with the unbeliever. He is everywhere, and he's everywhere in his fullness. It's not just part of him there. Some attributes may be more dominant in situations, like in creation, you see the dominance of omnipotence. In heaven, you're going to see the dominance of love and grace. Whereas in hell, you're going to see the dominance of wrath and justice. But the truth of the matter is, the Lord himself is everywhere in his fullness at the same time. And that's why we say, and the Bible says, he's on the present. No destiny can separate us from God's presence. 50,000 years from this moment, you will still be in the presence of God. Enjoying his love and grace and mercy. And reveling in the fact that you're in the presence of the glory of God. Or you will be in hell separated from God forever. With the dominance of wrath and justice. But no destiny can separate us from God's presence. Number two, no distance can separate us from God's presence. No distance can separate us from God's presence. If I take up verses 9 and 10, if I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What does David mean by the wings of the morning? Well, it's really a Hebraic poetic expression which gives wings to the sun. We've all seen beautiful sunrises. I see quite a few of you posting them on Facebook when you're out at your favorite beach early in the morning and you might put or the sunset. And so this is a, a, a really a Hebrew poetics expression uh, that gives uh, wings to the rays of the sun as they shoot across the heavens with the speed of light and reach to the farthest horizons. David is saying this, if I could fly with the same swiftness from east to west as the first rays of the morning, I would find God that you have preceded me and gone before me and I would find you there as much as here. In other words, no distance can separate anybody from God. I think it was two weeks ago we celebrated the 50th year anniversary of the United States uh, putting a man on the moon. But you may recall, and some of you who are a little older will remember this story, uh, because as I was preparing this message for the last couple of weeks, uh, I immediately thought of this, this illustration. Yuri Gagarin who was the, in the former the Soviet Union. He was the first man actually to travel into space, launching to orbit in Vostok 1 on April 12, 1961. It was reported, and I can remember this as though it was on the newscast this morning, that, and I don't remember who the commentator was, but it was reported that on the space flight, he made the sarcastic comment quote, unquote, I don't see any God up here. Of course, he was not looking for the God you and I worship, but the God he had humanized and brought down to his level. Now, just to be fair to Yuri, 
some say retrospectively that it wasn't actually Yuri who said that, those words, but it was Nikita Khrushchev who attributed those words to Yuri. And whether Yuri said them or Nikita made them up, we don't know just to be fair. We do know some years later on March 27th, 1968, while on a routine training flight, the airplane went down and Yuri was killed. And if you've ever visited Red Square, I can remember going there in Moscow uh, to where his name is there and where he was buried in the walls of the Kremlin. I tell you one thing for certain, whether he said that or not, I don't know. But I can tell you, Yuri has seen God. Yuri has seen the Lord. He saw him that split second on March 27th, 1968. And so will you. At your appointed time, you will see God. You will see him as your savior or as your judge. In his great love and grace and mercy or in his justice and wrath. Thirdly, no darkness can separate us from God's presence. So we say no destiny, no distance, and no darkness can separate us from God's presence. We read verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be dark, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, the Apostle John loves to make the contrast in a spiritual symbolism between light and darkness. He writes that in God is no darkness at all. And then he writes to walk in darkness, especially he's talking about spiritual darkness, is to be out of fellowship with the Lord who is the light. But the doctrine of omnipresence is a motivator to us to holiness of life. To know God is present always is to know that everything we do, every thought I have, every motivation of my heart he sees, all this we do in his presence. It is done in the presence of God. Nothing escaped him this last week from your life and your mind. Remember when you were a little child, you thought you could crawl under the blanket and God wouldn't be able to see you there? And that's what men have been doing ever since, still trying to hide from God. Adam sinned and disobeyed God in Genesis 3.8 says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, as though they could hide from the omnipresent spirit. So man's been running and hiding ever since. Adam couldn't escape the presence of the Lord, and neither can you or I. No destiny, no distance, nor darkness can separate us from the presence of the Lord. John Wooden was probably one of the greatest basketball coaches uh, in college history. He coached the great teams of UCLA years ago. And John was a, uh, uh, Coach Wooden was a, a wonderful, committed Christian. And he made this one statement that I love. The true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. Isn't that true? 
Or as somebody says, you are what you are with what you do in the dark. And sometimes when we're all alone and we're even in a place of spiritual darkness, it's like it's just me. It is just I down by the computer screen, watching what I'm watching, listening to what I'm listening to. And somehow we think we escape the presence of God and we're hiding, but there's no hiding from God. Let's close the message before we go to the Lord's table and look at some constraints from God's omnipresence. First of all, I say to revere him as almighty Lord. If this is the great God we've been studying who's sovereign, who's eternal, who's immutable, who's omnipotent, who's absolutely holy, and now today he's omnipresent as we say, then it seems to me the only response that a rational human being would make is to revere him as almighty Lord. Exodus 20 tells us how God gave the Ten Commandments to his servant Moses. And in Exodus 20, 24, we read, In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, by the way, that's what we're going to do today, except it's 1,500 years later, 3,500 years later. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you. Now, it's not that he's not already here. And even as we are praying earlier this morning, you know, we don't have to pray, Lord, please be with us. He's all pro already promised, I am with you, even to the, I will never leave you. I don't have to say, Lord, meet with us today. And yet there is a sense in which we recognize the need of wanting a, a unique presence of the Lord, of his blessing, of his grace, of his power, of his holiness, of his love and glory. And throughout the Old Testament, God met with his people in the tabernacle out in the wilderness and then in the temple in Jerusalem. And in the New Testament, the church is called the temple of the living God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So God is always with us. But I do believe there's a special sense in which uh, he meets with us as we gather on the first day of the week in corporate worship and especially the first Sunday of the month as we celebrate the Lord's table together. What a motivation this is to enter into the worship of God as we sing, read the scriptures as we pray, as we give, and as we love one another. God is with us in a very special way as we congregate together to worship him. I, do, I feel sorry for believers who don't really, for whatever reason, sense the need or have the desire to want to be with God's people on the Lord's day. I, I don't understand that. I can't, I can't get it. And I know I hear it and you've heard it and maybe you've said it. Well, I meet with God on the beach. Well, that's nice. I understand he's there. I meet with God on the golf course. Well, I'm not sure he's, if there's one place he's not, he's not with me on the golf course. But, <laughs> but we know he's everywhere at once, and I understand that. But there is a sense where there seems to be a special blessing on God's people when they meet together. And it's encouraging, isn't it, to meet together and to hear from one another because he's the true vine and how desperately we need him. But we also need the branches. We're intertwined with the branches uh, and united in him, in the true vine. 
But you can't take the true vine from the branches any more than you can take the head from the body. And so it is with the Lord's people. Secondly, another one is to rely upon him as victorious conqueror. So some of the screens are revere him, to rely upon him as a victorious conqueror. Because temptation comes my way uh, every day, whether from the enemy without or from the flesh from within. God knows all about it. He's promised you and me, no temptation has taken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, who will not permit you to be tested above that you're able, but will, with the testing, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And in simple terms, if I could just say it in a sentence, what he's saying is God has promised he will never allow you to endure more than his grace does not able you to suffer through for his glory, for his will, and for your good. He'll never give you, you've heard people say, I can't take any more. I can't take one more thing, and then one more thing comes. God says that one more thing will never be allowed to put you over the edge. That's the promise from the Lord. And then we can rely upon him as our victorious conqueror, realizing we've been crucified, identified with him in that, the resurrection, the ascension, and now we're by the great power that raised him from the dead, we're seated in the heavenlies and experience that as well. Thirdly, is to rest in him as comforting shepherd, to rest in him as comforting shepherd. Every child of God is appointed to times of suffering. The godly will suffer. That's, that's a promise of God. And no promise from God has ever been more greatly used than the Lord's presence with this thrall of life. I hope you love reading missionary biographies, and if you don't, you should get engaged in them. And you will read time after time when missionaries suffered great loss, even martyrdom. It seems that so many of them said the one promise that kept them staying, kept them persevering, kept them moving ahead, even in the face of death, the one promise was, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. And the writer's response was, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. This doesn't mean we live in a state of constant jubilee all the time. That's less than realistic. Though always rejoicing, the apostle Paul admitted that he was sometimes sorrowful. And even Jesus experienced strong crying and tears, though he never left the bosom of the Father. This last week up at Living Waters, one of my great joys, it's, the adults are wonderful, and I'm seeing a lot of them come back. They come back year after year, the week I'm up there, so you get to know them almost like a congregation. But it's the young people who swap my driving force while I go back. Whether I go there and the adults are there, or I'm there for the adults or not, they're not going to miss me if I'm not there. That's just the truth of the matter. They say they would, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't even know if I was there or not. But it's the young people that drive me there. I look at them, and they're all seated down there. And these are kids that are given their summer to serve the Lord on staff. And I see their whole lives in front of them. And they come from all kinds of walks of life. One young lady probably about 14 or 15, really touched my heart this last week. 
Maybe it's because after every Bible hour, morning or evening, every Bible hour, she didn't miss, I'd see her coming up to the front. And she would look and she'd shake my hand. She always had a little misty eye. And she would say something like, I really needed that message. Thank you so much. And nothing more was said and nothing more was invited there. And after the final session, she approached me with tears in her eyes. And she said something to that effect, but then she added these words. She said, now I'm going home and I'm not looking forward to it. And I thought to myself, no kid, no young person should ever have to dread going home. What's she going home to? I don't know. The drunken father? A mom on drugs? Beatings? Abuse? I don't know. All I do know is she had a heavy heart. She was going home. In her words, she was leaving this place of paradise where she was with the Lord in his word and with the Lord's people. Fourthly, to receive him as personal savior. So some constraints on the omnipresence is to revere him as almighty Lord, rely upon him as victorious conqueror, rest in him as comforting shepherd, and to receive him as personal savior. I think that's what the omnipresence drive in through my heart to you today is if you don't know the Lord. It means that no believer has a hiding place. I just thought of that hymn we used to sing years ago. I probably haven't sung it for 50 years, 40 years. You are my hiding place. Did you ever hear that? Oh, that's so powerful. Just thought of that. There's no escape for the unbeliever. He has no hiding place. For you and me, Christ is our hiding place. The unbeliever must realize that no matter how he tries, no matter how hard he runs, he cannot escape God. He may decide to turn off the television evangelist, crumble off the gospel track, stay home from church, remove the Bible out of his sight, and refuse to have any conversation about God and redemption. But he cannot hide from God. So today, my friend, if you are here, first of all, I commend you for being here. Whether you love the Lord with all your heart or whether you're just kind of still on the fence or you're just not sure, but you've never made that decision to trust Christ. The very fact that you are here says God is doing something in your life in bringing you among God's people in his word. And I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as your refuge and your redeemer and he will be your hiding place in Christ. Come out of darkness into the glorious light of the Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer, please?